This podcast contains content that may not be suitable for some audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Previously on Cry in the Moonslight. In Chapter 5, the Hessian leader, Colonel Volker, confronts the carriage driver about their time in Mercel. We learn Hessian soldiers battled a werewolf during the American Revolution, where their commander was beheaded by the creature. The surviving Hessians are now mercenaries, determined to destroy the beast. When a villager is attacked by a large black creature, the Hessians depart the castle to pursue the beast. And as villagers hurry inside the castle walls, Milady and the carriage driver plan their escape. Welcome to A Cry in the Moon's Light. Thank you for joining me. I'm your host, Alan McGill. I'm the author who created this story. I'll also be your narrator. A Cry in the Moon's Light is an action-adventure drama told in 15 episodes. It's the tale of a beautiful young woman who must travel across the country through a dark forest. Our setting is the late 1700s of Eastern Europe. It is a time of horse-driven carriages, muskets, castles, and when the moon is full, hideous creatures of the night. Solve the mystery of the wolf. Learn the secret of silver. And discover a world of intrigue, adventure, horror, romance, and love. Join me as we unravel the mystery that is A Cry in the Moon's Light. In this chapter, Our Lady and the carriage driver escape Castle Parlamay heading east. Stopping along the sea, they are attacked by the Black Wolf and his pack once again. Our Lady is nearly killed before she is rescued by a mysterious masked rider who whisks her away. Desperate and fearing for the life of Milady, the carriage driver returns to Castle Parlamay seeking help. Welcome to Chapter 6, The Masked Rider versus the Black Wolf. I ran to the stables as fast as my legs would carry me. As long as I could hear the bells, I would have time. They wouldn't stop until every villager was inside the castle walls. Buckling in the second row of horses was easy. The carriage was facing the right direction, and I had placed the harnesses in the correct order. One by one, I hooked them in their proper place on the double tree. Killian and Arca were already excited. They could feel the energy in the castle, and the frantic sound of the bells added to their tension. Killian was so excited, he reared up when I pulled him out of his stall. I almost lost my grip on the reins when a strong hand grabbed above mine and pulled him down. 
It was William. He made it into the stables without me seeing, and was now helping me get Killian and Arca in line. As William was strapping in Killian, I grabbed Arca and pulled him in place. He was easier than Killian. Arca was excited, but was a lot older and knew how to control himself. Once they were in place, William jumped up on the seat with me. Let's go, he yelled. I released the brake, snapped the reins, and hurried the carriage out of the stables. We raced up to the front gate and stopped. The crowd had moved and was no longer blocking the path. The guards looked at us as we came up quickly. My lady saw us coming and moved to the side. When we stopped, she jumped in the carriage and slid the window open. William jumped down. As he did, Lord Parlamay ran over to the horses, trying to block us from leaving. William, what are you doing? Mademoiselle, you cannot leave. The King's orders. There was genuine fear in his eyes. William grabbed Lord Parlamay by the arms, pulling him aside. For whatever reason, William was helping us leave. At the crossroads, William yelled up to me while looking at my lady. Near the forest edge, continue southeast. This will take you back toward the sea at the other end of the forest. From there, you won't be far from Port Calibre. There isn't much there, but it's as good a place as any to rest the horses before the final leg to Trevor Doe. William, no, pleaded Lord Parlamay. Safe travels, my lady. I'm sure we'll see each other again very soon, William finished. When he said soon, I looked right down at him. He was helping us leave, but I was hoping to never see him again. The way he said soon, I was sure we would see him in the not-too-distant future. I cracked the reins hard, barking out commands to Arca and Killian. I ran the team as fast as I could across the drawbridge, steering them down the road through the village. The houses were all boarded up. Window shutters secured their homes, and the streets were vacant. The peasants had all made it inside the castle. It was an eerie feeling to go through a town without any people. I turned my head to look back at the castle and could see the drawbridge blowing up. It closed with a loud bang. Nothing would be getting in there or coming out. We made our way through the village quickly. When we reached the crossroads, I steered left to continue east. This road would run through the valley connecting with the forest again. The road ran down the middle of the long open fields. The farmer's crops were near harvest and some were high on both sides. A light headwind came our way. The sun was nearly gone by the time we reached the forest. It would be dark very soon. I didn't see anything as we were coming through the village. No sign of any wolves, the beast, or the Hessians. I also didn't see any blue eyes following us either. As we approached the forest entrance, the sun was just about to fall below the horizon. Only a few minutes of daylight remained. I'd slowed the team down from the all-out run to a nice easy trot now. We traveled along effortlessly as we moved from the fields to the forest. Arca, Killian, and the rest of the horses were all well-rested. They were having no trouble, and we still had enough light to see. 
Even though the sun had gone down, the moon was slowly rising. The sky was clear and bright. I vowed not to travel at night again, but our departure was frantic. For now, at least everything was going smoothly. There was no sign of anything we needed to worry about. So I slowed the team down to a stop and hopped down. My lady watched as I lit each candle in the light housings of the carriage. There was enough light from the moon, but we would need the carriage to light up the road too. When I finished, I jumped back up to the driver's seat and started the team again. The sounds of the night filled the air. I started to relax and felt more at ease. Arca and Killian didn't need much guidance. They knew what they were doing as they picked up the pace again. The road in this part of the forest was a lot wider than it was coming from our mansion. There weren't many turns, and we hadn't come across any side roads, so the horses just kept going and let the road guide us. I began thinking of my family, wondering what they must be doing. My mother would be finishing her chores for the day, cleaning up after supper and getting breakfast prepped. My father would be finishing with some little project before he retired for the evening, and my little brother would have been looking after the animals one more time before bed, making sure they were safe for the night. I imagined what tomorrow might hold for them. The smell of my mother's fresh bread in the window. She would bake it in the morning and place it on the windowsill. If she had leftover dough, she would make little round buns. Sometimes I would steal them as I walked by. I began to miss home for the first time in a long time. It had been a while since I was there. I was visiting my family for a few days before this. I lived at the stable company now and I had left a few weeks ago to pick up this new carriage at the shop in the city. It had come on a ship, crafted in a faraway land, ordered special for this trip. When the carriage was ready, I went straight to pick up my lady it took me nearly a day to make it to the mansion. The ride there was pleasant, but it made for a long day. My father always teased me about wanting adventure. He would say that no moss ever grew under my feet. He didn't like that I went away, but he understood and respected the need to earn a living. Thinking about home and daydreaming as we moved along was a good break for me. The circumstances of the night before were too disturbing to think about again. But that was behind us now in more ways than one. This night seemed brighter. The forest was no longer scary and the smell in the air was fresh. The Hessians had ordered us to stay. But just as my lady said, once we got out of the valley, we would be okay. There was no sign of them. They must have gone the other way. Who knows? Maybe they already killed the wolves. Did us all a favor and killed the black one too. We had been traveling for quite some time now. The road seemed to follow in between two large hills. It was flat where we were and was still fairly wide. That also made it a lot easier to see. I peeked around the side to look into the coach. A lady was looking out the window. She seemed at ease too. There was a look of contentment, 
relief on her face. I'm sure she was anxious to be with her grandmother, but the events of this trip had to be on her mind. When I turned back around to see where we were going, the road had made its way around a hill. Now I could see there was an opening up ahead. The forest was breaking again. Our road was emptying into a field next to a large body of water. This had the smell of salt in the air. It was a good, clean smell. Passing through the forest opening, we were now riding next to a large body of water. At first there were tall grasses intermingled with mounds of sand. The surf once encroached here, but had since receded, leaving behind a moonlike landscape. As the grasses became less on the seaside, a field of tall weeds was on our left and extended to the forest. We traveled for some distance before my lady opened her window and yelled for me to stop. I pulled the team to a halt next to a beachhead. The sand met some shore rocks here. We could see the surf coming in with high waves crashing into the rocks. This left foam settling in large tidal pools. The area was breezy as the wind hurried across the water. This is what caused the whitecap waves to roll over just before they struck rocks and sand. It was a soothing sound and quite a sight under the moonlight. The carriage door opened and my lady stepped out. She walked toward the surf in her bare feet, letting the sand squish between her toes as she stretched her legs from the long ride. She had a look of deep thought as she watched the ebb and flow of the water. I was standing beside Arca when that strange feeling came over me again. I looked down the shore to my lady and she seemed fine. But the air seemed heavy. Something was different. Arca let out a puff of breath and began shuffling his feet. Killian started to fidget and the other horses began to act restless. They were uneasy and it was getting worse. I could read the horses and I knew that feeling. My lady, I yelled. I think we should be going. Rather quickly, I'm afraid. My senses were at their peak. There was something wicked here. I didn't want to make any sudden movements. I slowly began to make my way to the driver's seat so I could get my musket. After the other night, I knew it might be pointless, but it was the only weapon I had. My lady had walked a good distance from the carriage. I didn't realize how far she had gotten. Hopefully, with a musket, I might be able to hit anything that came near her. I continued to move slowly toward the carriage. After a few steps, I stopped and scanned the forest, but there was nothing. I thought I saw a movement in the tall grass, but it was hard to be sure with the wind. And at night, shadows are everywhere. Then I saw them. Some spots in the grass were darker than others. Shadows that seemed to have some type of shape. Every now and then I would catch a glimpse of amber eyes from those dark places. My heart began to beat like a drum. Blood started to run a little faster. And my knees began to tremble. My body was getting ready for its fight or flight. I looked to my lady who was slowly making her way back to the carriage. 
there was a strong breeze coming off the water. Between the breeze and the waves, it would be hard for her to hear anything. She had no idea of the danger we were in. I tried to remain calm, moving slowly, careful not to make any sudden movements. I didn't want to trigger anything. Maybe she would make it to the carriage before they attacked. When I looked back toward the tall grass, I could see one set of eyes fixated on me. The other eyes, flashes of amber, would disappear and reappear. They were moving, getting themselves in a better position to attack. But the eyes closest to me, they remained firmly in place. Stepping up slowly to reach for my musket, I heard a low growl near the back of the carriage. A warning. I froze in place, scared to move, but I had to see. I turned my head slowly toward the sound. At the edge of the grass, beyond the shadows, it was the large black wolf. An overextended snarl showing his white teeth. The sides of his mouth dripping with saliva. His eyes never moved. Slowly, he took two steps toward me. Another low growl, deeper, longer, and more menacing. As if he was saying, I got you now. I had one foot up on the step of the carriage. The musket was just beyond my grasp. If I could reach it, I might be able to kill him. But he was so close to me now. If I made one mistake, he would be on me. Without turning my head, my eyes drifted across the carriage to the beach. My lady had stopped about halfway, a look of terror on her face. From there, she could see the black wolf. Out of the corner of my other eye, I could see the shadows advancing from the grass. The remainder of the pack was creeping toward me. It was hard to tell how many there were. The black wolf turned his head for only a second to look at the pack. When he did, I saw my chance. I scrambled up on the driver's seat as he attempted to catch me, but I couldn't stop to grab the musket. I kept going across the seat to the other side. I tried to grab the musket along the way, but missed. I knew if I hesitated, he would have pounced on me. His jaws snapped at me, making a hideous sound of teeth slamming together as they caught nothing but air. As his bite missed, his head bounced off the side of the carriage. The impact tumbled him to the ground. Gathering himself, he made a second leap onto the seat. The horses went wild. Arca and Killian reared up and slammed back down hard on the road as they jumped forward, trying to escape. The carriage brake was set, so the wheels wouldn't turn, but the force of their movement jumped the carriage ahead. This jolted the black wolf, causing him to stumble on the driver's seat. As the black wolf was trying to regain his footing, the horses began to pull forward. The brake was still preventing them from making any progress. The distraction was just enough for me to get inside the carriage. The rest of the wolf pack attacked the carriage, snarling and showing their teeth. The black wolf came after me just as I shut the door. He was snarling and scratching in a fit of rage. But now, my nightmare was coming true. These glass windows were not going to hold them back. It wouldn't be long before they ripped this carriage apart and had at me. But instead, the black wolf stopped and looked behind him. As he did, the other wolf stopped too. His eyes were now fixated on my lady. She had not moved since the attack began. 
on the beach, out in the open. There was no place for her to run. Now their attention was turned to her. The rest of the pack started to move to the back of the carriage. One by one, they formed a line. Their eyes now on my lady as well. She looked at each of them, then made her move. She picked up her dress and began to run away down the beach. The wolves didn't move for a moment. They looked at each other as if surprised that she was running. Then, they all began to howl excitingly. The black wolf was the first to move as he sprinted to catch her. Then the others followed, each galloping at full speed across the sand. They were in a V pattern behind her, with the black wolf in the lead. The little pause they gave when they first saw her provided a chance. But it wasn't going to be enough. There wasn't anywhere for her to go. I could only watch in horror as they caught up to her. I rushed out of the carriage and climbed to the driver's seat, grabbing my musket. I swung it to my shoulder to take aim. They were too far, and I was afraid I would hit her. The black wolf slowed his pace and the others matched his speed. They fanned out around her to prevent her from darting in any direction. She could only run forward. They were herding her in the direction they wanted her to go. With no shot from where I was, I jumped down and ran after them. Ahead of her, there were some large rocks near the shore. If she could get there, she might find some cover. Maybe a crevice, a crack in the rocks, somewhere they couldn't reach her. Then, the unthinkable happened. As she was running, she looked back, which caused her to stumble. The air left my lungs as I watched, and they were upon her. The wolves began to howl excitedly as they surrounded her. They could sense the kill. She turned on her side to face them. The black wolf attacked first. Leaping high in the air, he came down with jaws open. She put her arm up to defend herself, and his teeth tore into her. The impact of his jump caused her head to snap back and hit a rock. This nearly knocked her unconscious. A second wolf attacked by grabbing her leg and shaking it violently. She cried out and screamed for help. As the black wolf and the second wolf continued their assault, a third wolf began pacing in a semicircle. Then the others began pacing. They howled and yipped excitedly, sensing she was about to be finished. Tears began to flow from my eyes as I was running. I came to a sliding stop in the sand and raised the musket to my shoulder again. Maybe I could take one of those evil bastards before they tore her apart. Just as I was about to fire, that's when I saw him. A masked rider, riding a buckskin horse, came thundering from the tree line onto the beach. He was hunkered down in the saddle and whipping the horse to go faster. The horse's hooves were tossing sand high in the air as it gained speed toward the wolf pack. When he was close enough, the rider leaned back, pulling a musket from a sling. The horse kept charging as he let go of the reins to fire. With a loud bang, the first shot rang out. The musket ball ripped across the black wolf's face. Blood, flesh, and fur went flying in the air. The force of the bullet caused the black wolf's head to turn violently to the side. As muskets are all single shot, the rider had to secure the weapon and go for another. Wasting no time, he pulled a pistol from his waist and fired a second shot. This bullet struck the black wolf in the neck. The moment it hit, the black wolf went limp, instantly falling to the ground. I raised my musket high above my head and yelled in triumph. 
The rider pulled yet another pistol from his waist and fired at the wolf on my lady's leg. The wolf let out a yip as it let go. It turned and ran through the pack, who was still circling my lady. They all turned their heads to watch the wounded wolf running in the other direction. Then, unexpectedly, the black wolf leapt to his feet. My mouth dropped open as I believed he was killed by the shot to the neck. The black wolf leaned in and growled at the rider. He raised his head and let out a hideous roar. As the black wolf's sound filled the air, the wolf pack reacted by retreating. They darted away, up across the beach, toward the grasses. Taking the shortest way possible back to the forest, they kept looking back at the rider as they were running, scared of him pursuing them. They each made it to the grasses and disappeared. Bleeding and in great pain, my lady drug herself up on some large rocks nearby. The black wolf looked at her in disbelief. He turned back to the rider, who was nearly upon him, showing his teeth with his hackles on end, one less time before he turned to run. The black wolf took a wide berth as he went by me. He continued past the carriage and across the road, disappearing in the tall grass, just like the rest of the pack. As I watched his escape, I could see the grasses moving toward the forest. The rider pulled the buckskin to a sudden stop right in front of my lady. He secured his pistols and ran over to her. She was badly injured and bleeding everywhere. Using a scarf from around his neck, he wrapped her arm tightly. The black wolf's teeth were sharp and had dug in. Once he had the bleeding under control, he pulled the black mask from his face and wrapped her leg. I got to my feet and ran toward them. As I got closer, I realized this was the stranger from the tavern in Marcel. His clothes were a little different, but it was him. He was wearing a black tricorn hat and a blue woodland coat. With his mask off, I could see it was definitely him. After he wrapped her leg, he started on the wound at the back of her head. He ripped some cloth from his shirt and used it to stop the bleeding. But there was blood seeping through. Blood began to seep through all the bandages. Not being able to stop the bleeding here, he picked her up and carried her to his horse. With my lady in his arms, he mounted the buckskin and looked back at me. Without a word, he rode off with her. Hey, wait! Where are you going? I yelled. He never looked back and said nothing. A swift kick in the horse's sides and within moments they disappeared over the mounds of sand. I could hear the sound of the horse's hooves galloping away up on the road. I turned, ran back to the carriage, got up into the driver's seat, kicked the brake free and snapped the reins pulling hard to the left. I needed to guide Arca and Killian to turn the carriage around. It was hard to get four horses in a large carriage turned, but I needed to do it quickly and to go in the direction he was taking my lady, if I had any chance of catching her. I ran the carriage hard into the forest. Then I slowed the team down so I could get a better look at the road, hoping to find some sign of them, some hoof marks scuffing the ground. We trotted along for a while, but I couldn't see anything. There were no obvious tracks or signs. The fact that it was still nighttime didn't help either. Frustrated, I pulled the reins back and stopped. Now what was I going to do? I had to find her. Who was he? And where was he taking her? 
I had no idea who this stranger was or where he was from. He was dressed like a highwayman or road agent, but it was hard to tell. The only clue I had about him was back at Marcel. I would have to go back to the pub and see if anybody knew him. I couldn't just leave her. I really didn't want to go back, not with the black wolf out there, but I had no other choice. Before I returned to Marcel, I would need to go back to Castle Parlemay. I wasn't very anxious to go back there either. After all, we did violate the king's orders. I wasn't sure how Lord Parlemay would receive me, especially now that I lost the Duchess of Harcourt. Regardless of how I felt about it, I was going to need some help, and Lord Parlemay was clearly fond of my lady. I just hoped I didn't get arrested upon returning, either by him or the Hessians, and I didn't know where they were. By the time I reached the castle, it was well into the day. Evening was upon the land. It must have been later than I had thought, or we were further away than I had realized. The great drawbridge was down now, unlike the last time I saw it when everyone was hiding in the castle. Peasants had returned to their homes as life filled the valley again. I thundered across the bridge and it occurred to me that the Hessians may have returned. Perhaps they caught the black wolf in his pack after our attack. That would solve one problem, but it wouldn't help me find my lady. I pulled up to the front of the castle and yanked the brake back. As I jumped down, Barkslow appeared. I hadn't seen him in some time. He had been gone when we left. Other servants came running over. Then Lord Parlamay came out from the castle doors. There was no sign of William, and there didn't seem to be as many guards around. What's wrong, my child? Where? Where is... Lord Parlamay started... I cut him off before he could finish. We were attacked by a pack of wolves, about half a day's ride from here, on a beach near a sea. A masked rider came along and saved my lady from the wolves, but he took her. What? What do you mean he took her? asked Barkslow. A blonde-haired man on a buckskin horse thundered in and shot one of the wolves. He ran the others off and helped my lady with her wounds. Before I could reach her, he placed her on his horse and rode out of sight. I tried to find them, but I couldn't, I said frantically. Calm down, child. Did you recognize the rider? asked Lord Parlamay. Yes, I think so. I saw him in Marcel. He was in the tavern when my lady and I were there, just before we came here. Lord Parlamay looked at Barkslow, who looked back at me, questioningly. Barkslow was a bit annoyed as he spoke. If he was wearing a mask, how did you recognize him? He took off his mask and used it to bandage her leg. That's when I saw his face, I answered. Bandage her leg? Lord Parlamay asked. Yes. We stopped near the shore to give the horses a rest. She got out of the carriage to walk the beach when the wolves attacked. Two of them bit into her. The rider shot two of the wolves and scared them off. Then he used bits of his clothing to bandage her wounds. Lord Parlamay looked annoyed, then stated, And yesterday, 
You said you didn't see a thing in Marcel. Lord Parliament and Barkslow looked at each other. They were clearly angry that my lady hadn't told them about Marcel. There wasn't anything I could do about that now. I nodded my head as I continued. I don't know why my lady didn't share that with you. Maybe she didn't want you to be angry that we stopped so late. Maybe she just didn't want to be caught up in the drama at Marcel. Or maybe she didn't want the Hessians to know. Lord Parlamay just nodded. Barkslow eased back a little in his tone as he spoke again. Tell me what happened to Marcel. What did you see that would cause you to leave in the middle of the night? To travel a dangerous countryside without an armed escort? When we arrived at Marcel, I began. We checked into our rooms at the inn. I boarded the horses and went to the tavern to get some supper. My lady was already there having a drink at one of the tables. I didn't see her until I ordered my ale at the bar. The Hessians were there, gambling in the back. A stranger came in, a tall, blonde man wearing nice clothes. He ordered a drink and left. She left right after the stranger. I got nervous and went out to look for her. When I got to the street, I didn't see her, so I checked her room and I thought she was... I thought she had gone inside. I finished. Then what? Barkslow asked impatiently. I was awakened by some screams outside. Most of the pub emptied into the street and got together in an alley. The innkeeper was banging at my door, going on about two people viciously attacked in the alley. I ran across the street and saw a man and a woman. They were torn apart. The Hessians came into the alley and started after the... whatever did that. I raced to the stable and found my lady there. We got the hell out of Marcel as quick as we could and came straight here. I ended. Warkslow looked at Lord Parlamay and then back at me skeptically. His voice was angry again as he spoke. Is there anything else? Anything you're leaving out? I shook my head no, stating... That's it, I swear. I came back here to ask for your help. Do you know anything about the man that took my lady? Something told me to leave out our being attacked on the road after we left Marcel. It would be pretty hard to explain how we escaped that one. I knew better than to tell them about the man-wolf who defeated an angry pack of wolves and then shoved a giant tree aside. That would just seem crazy. If they didn't believe me, they might assume I made the whole thing up. Barkslow leaned back deep in thought. He looked up at Lord Parlamay, who nodded yes to him. Barkslow ran back to the castle barking orders to the servants who had been listening. They all dispersed and rushed about. Lord Parlamay put his arm around me as he spoke. Come inside, child, and warm up. We'll find her. I pulled back. Thank you, but I must go with them. I can't just sit here and not look for her. They're not leaving until the morning, child. It's far too dangerous to go now. The sun will be setting soon. The country's too wild, Lord Parlamay said. I must leave for Marcel. If I start now, I can be there just after dark, I said as I ran back to my team and climbed up into the driver's seat. Just then, Barkslow came out of the castle. He was carrying a couple of muskets and some provisions under his arms. He looked at me as he hustled by 
I looked down at him and said, I'm leaving now. I'll meet you back here at noon tomorrow. Barkslow stopped and shook his head slowly as he spoke. I know you wish to find her. I will help you. But you can't do her any good if you are killed yourself. You and your horses will be killed. Please, stay the night and I promise tomorrow morning we will go together. We are already preparing. Lord Parlamay extended his hand as he spoke. Come, child. Captain Barkslow is right. It's at least half a day's ride to Marcel. You would be well into the night before you arrived. We will find her. I have known her since she was a small child. I'm afraid for her too. But she is resourceful, a fighter. She'll be all right. I lowered my head for a moment as I thought. I looked up at Arca and Killian. Lord Parliament and Barkslow were right. It would be well into the night by the time I reached Marcel. I was kidding myself if I thought I could get there before nightfall. Getting myself and the horses killed would not help her. I didn't like it, but I was staying. Stay tuned for a preview of our next exciting chapter. I'm your host, Alan McGill. Thank you for joining me on this episode of A Cry in the Moon's Light. If you enjoyed this episode, please follow us and click the like button, as well as leaving a review in the comments section. By doing this, it helps promote the show so we can gain more support. You can also show your support by going to buymeacoffee.com forward slash Alan McGill. It's a good way to support authors and artists like myself. You can even download the Buy Me A Coffee app to make your contributions even easier. When you buy me a coffee, you're not just supporting me, but you're supporting the show. While I am the narrator, sole producer, and performer, that cup of coffee helps me purchase the sound effects, artist illustrations, and original music written and performed by Joseph McDade. Go to buymeacoffee.com forward slash Alan McGill. Before I sign off, I want to take a moment and acknowledge some great supporters of the show, like Joseph McDade, who provides original music to shows like this. You can find Joe at josephmcdade.com. Todd Yuri of the Pharmacy Podcast Network, who provided a quiet place to record the narrations for this show, and is always a supporter of the arts. Visit Todd at the Pharmacy Podcast Network. I'd also like to introduce a friend of the show, West Wind Comics. West Wind Comics has an exciting story called the Onoria Trilogy. The first volume, Onoria Genesis, is available now. The Onorina Saga is the tale of two utopian citizens who are abducted by a mysterious entity and fused together into one single body to embark against their will on a bizarre adventure. The printed hard copy is available at westwindcomics.com. And lastly, 
I want to thank you again for being here. I hope you enjoyed the show, and I hope you join me again for another exciting episode of A Cry in the Moon's Light. In the next chapter, accompanied by Castle Guards, the carriage driver returns to Marcel, hoping to find Milady. But Marcel has been attacked, and several villagers are brutally murdered. With Marcel under siege and Milady still missing, the carriage driver is left with few choices. What attacked the village in Marcel? Is it the werewolf? Is it the wolf pack? And where is Milady? Find out next time in Chapter 7, A Scared Village. This podcast is the creation of Alan McGill. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved.